Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. Uh, it's good to be back with you guys. Today we're going to be looking in God's Word in the book of Luke. I've kept them close together for you guys. Um, we're going to start in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. And it reads, Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he spoke to himself, said, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman that is who is touching him, for she is a sinner." And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this even who forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Turning over to Luke chapter 10, we're going to go verses 38 through 42. We're going to see a similarity here. It says, Now it happened as they went, he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. May God bless the reading of his word. Thank you, brother. Good morning. Thanks for having me back. I, uh, I was excited um, when Dan asked and told me that he had a need uh, to be able to come back, I remember the last time I was here, and it was, honestly, it was a blessing. Um, it was a blessing because if any of you remember the last time I was here, what God put on my heart, I, I was honestly a little nervous because it was a little bit of a punch. And I'm like, oh boy, 
I have to go to a whole bunch of people I don't know and preach this message, which could potentially kind of hit hard. And the blessing came in afterwards, even though I was nervous, of how many of you guys came up and said, I know why God told you to say that. And we're so thankful that he did. And it was just awesome to hear God's people, hear God's voice, and to be thankful for it. So hopefully this morning it's the same thing. My name is Aaron. Uh, I live in Harbor Creek. Uh, I serve with Dan. I've helped out with the Teens Alive program. Uh, I have uh, contacted Iroquois. We're, We're trying to move in that direction and get our Iroquois school district on board with this. So hopefully this year that really takes off. Um, my home church is Harbor Creek Baptist, where I serve with Pastor Roach there, and obviously, occasionally, I'm invited to churches to speak. So, what God has on my heart this morning are the two passages I read, and it's amazing that I was able to share this message already with the Baptist church down in Edinburgh a couple months ago. And this opportunity came up, and I pray as I always do and say, Lord, what would you have me say? Uh, and he said, go, go do this one again. I'm like, all right, good, because I already have it all written. Um, (laughs) So I was all excited, like, all right, just cruise on this one. But as I've been praying, and even over the last 24 hours, it always shocks me how God will take something that I thought I knew and then just take it a little deeper and give me something else. And it's cool that I'm looking at this, I'm like, man, how did I not see that the first time through this? And it's a different perspective, so we have something a little fresh with this today, but... To start out, I want us to realize, and I know this is going to sound, well, duh, but sometimes I think we lose sight of this. The most important thing in our lives as Christians is growing in our relationship with Christ. Nothing is more important in our existence than getting closer to God. Right? And we say that, and everybody's like, well, of course, but today we're going to look at our lives in the mirror of Scripture, as James tells us. Let's look in this mirror and see what God says, and let's grow closer to Him. Uh, the Apostle Paul demonstrated this. I want to read this because it, it blows my mind, the, what he says here. So we're going to go to Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 8. And right before this, just a summary, Paul gives his pedigree as a Jew. Everything that he has, and he's got a pretty amazing Jewish resume. I mean, he was the top of a lot of different things. He was a Pharisee. He gives us a whole lot of uh, things that in their culture were some of the most admirable things that you could have. But listen to what he says in verses 8 through 11. He says, Yet, indeed, I also count all things lost. For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Man, how powerful. Paul says, I've accomplished all these things in life, and guess what? They're garbage. 
give them all up for the excellency of just knowing Jesus. Man, I praise God that we even have an opportunity to know Him. And as we look at our passages today, something hit me, and it's an interesting thought and statement, and I usually get kind of a quizzical look when I say it, but do you guys realize that the Great Commission, although it is incredibly important on this side of heaven, on this side of the return of Christ, but it's a temporary order. It, it doesn't last forever. The Great Commission will come to an end. When Christ returns to this earth, it's over. There's no more evangelizing. It's done. Um, that's bittersweet. It's bitter because that means that there's going to come a time when nobody else can enter into a relationship with God. It's sweet that at that moment, the sinful world comes to an end. It's over. However, the great commandment is an eternal order. That is what our forever is going to be. The great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That goes on forever. The great commission is an order that we have while we're here, and we need to put time and energy into it. Of course, and we need to prepare ourselves for it. We don't want to lose sight of the great commandment because that keeps going afterwards. As a matter of fact, it, it becomes easier and greater. So today, I want to talk about two of the biggest potential pitfalls we face as Christians in regards to our growing in our relationship with Christ. Two things that hold us back. Now, if we see somebody and we can see that they're in a serious sin, it's pretty easy to say that that's holding them back with their relationship with Christ. If somebody has a massive anger problem, that's going to hold you back in Christ. That's a pretty easy one. Uh, if somebody is living an incredibly sinful life, doing things that they know are wrong, that's going to obviously hinder their relationship with Christ. Those are easy to see. These two, maybe not so much. Uh, the other side of this, and this is what God was really putting on my heart is, wow, there could be people out there who actually don't have a true relationship with Christ who may think they do. And these may be two of the reasons. So we're going to kind of preach this from a sense of to the saved, here's what we can take away from this, but possibly to the unsaved, I hope God convicts if this is indeed the case. I found it interesting as I was studying these two passages that we read that they're very similar. Uh, both accounts let us know of three people, one of them being Christ, and then two others. And what's interesting about the two others is if we read and we go back and we look through it, one of them, of the other two, was the one who invited Jesus into the house. But they weren't the ones that paid attention to him. It was someone else who paid attention to him. So let's take a look at our first account. And that was our account in Luke. And we won't reread that. But we'll go back through and we'll kind of break it down and talk about who was involved in this. We get a name of one of the people. And his name is Simon. He's a Pharisee. A Pharisee in their time was an incredibly religious person. They, they were looked up to because of how well they kept the law. They... They took it upon themselves that they were going to follow all of the Jewish laws, and there was a lot of them. 
As a matter of fact, the Pharisees were known for kind of helping out the law by adding some extras to clarify the law that had already been given. And then they held people to that standard, and anybody who couldn't hold to that standard, they looked down on them. There's a particular passage, we won't go there, but it talks about Jesus says, you guys strain out the gnat, we'll gulp down the camel. We always look at that like, well, who wants a gnat in their wine, right? Or their drink. But if you actually study that, the reason they did that is one of the laws is you weren't to eat of an animal's blood. So they wanted to make sure that if a gnat happened to get into what they were drinking, they didn't want to break the law, so they would strain it out to make sure that they didn't partake of an animal's blood. They were fanatical about following the law. Ultra-religious. They prided themselves on that. And then the other person. Well, she was a sinner. And she knew it. She didn't live a good life. It just tells us she was a woman of the city. There's a lot of assumptions that are drawn out of that statement about the type of lifestyle she would have lived, what she would have been known for. Obviously, she was known enough that the Pharisee, when he saw her, was like, this guy's a prophet? Does he realize he's allowing to touch him right now? The Pharisees didn't have contact with people who were sinners lest they should by some way become tainted by being association or contact with them. And here he's watching this woman and she's all over Jesus. As a matter of fact, she's so broken hearted over her life that she has enough tears to wash his feet. Now we all know the passage shortly before Jesus goes to the cross at the Last Supper where he takes and he washes his disciples' feet. The reality of that in the world they lived in is they didn't have shoes as we know them. They had sandals. And it was dirty and dusty. And their feet got dirty and dusty. So when it says that she was crying tears and washing his feet and drying them with her hair, it wasn't like he took his shoes off and, you know, there may be a little... You get a little funk from that. No, they would have been filthy. Yes, he's the Lord. But yes, it was dirty back then. His feet were dirty. They were really dirty. This woman was so broken that she had enough tears to wash his feet. That's not a parable, guys. That actually happened. Someone was crying over her life. She, she had this alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and once again, if we go back and research that, that would have had an incredible amount of value. It most likely would have been something that she would have had uh, to, to give to a family for a potential husband. But instead, she took it and she broke it. And she used it on Jesus. There's a lesson here for us as Christians. We must be very careful that we don't put all of our focus into becoming religious and be focused on doing works. Lest we start to believe that we indeed are so religious that we don't need to put the attention into Jesus as those sinners do. There will never be a time in your life, even as a Christian, where you don't need Jesus 
as much as the most sinful person on earth. Ever. We need him. In 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul makes an interesting statement. He says, and I'm paraphrasing just a little, but Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is a very true statement, Paul says. And then he goes on to say, of whom I am chief. Not I was chief. Paul himself realized that he needed Christ. That although he had been saved, and it was a pretty miraculous conversion, uh, he still needed Jesus, just as much then as he ever did. Let's be careful that we don't become so full of our church attitude, identity, and activity that we forget that we need Jesus just as much as the worst sinner does. And we need to give him that attention. The other side of this, um, a little personal side of this, going a little ad lib here, so give me some, uh, a little liberty here, if you will. I was raised a Jehovah's Witness. I grew up in Cory. Uh, I left that when I was a teenager. Some of you guys have heard a little bit of this story before. I lived about 20 years in the world, just about as brutally as anybody could live 20 years in the world. I was so non-Christian that I'm sure many would have said, well, that guy's never, ever going to live a Christian life. I, I was bad. Um, I wasn't raised in the church. Sometimes I look at people who have always been in the church and been raised in the church, and I'm a little envious because there's a lot of things in my past I wish weren't there. But then there's a part of me who looks at people who have been raised in a church-type setting, and sometimes I'm wondering, did they ever get their heart broken for Christ? Or, or, or have they lived their lives that I grew up with great Christian parents and a great solid Bible-believing church, and I've always done all the things of the church. I, was, I aced youth group, and I've always participated in whatever came up, and I'm always there when something needs to be done. And I'm good, you know, I'm, I'm good because I've always been Christian. And sometimes I worry about those people. Because I wonder, did, did you ever have God break your heart and bust open the floodgates of repentance? Did you ever weep over your sinfulness? Or are you just living with the idea that you're religious enough? It's a terrifying thought. The scariest verse in the Bible to me is when Jesus says, Depart from me. I never knew you. After people come to him and say, we did all this for you. If that happens to be anybody here, I genuinely in my heart pray that in this moment that the Spirit of God is working in your heart. Because guys, hell is a horrible place and forever is a long time. So moving on to our second account, we again see three people. We see someone who invited Jesus into the house, and we find out her name is Martha. And she has a sister named Mary. Now, these two sisters also had a brother who played a, a pretty big part in showing who Jesus was. His name was Lazarus. He was dead for four days. And then he wasn't. Because Jesus said, come on out. 
But in this particular passage of Scripture, we see Martha invite Jesus into her house. And then she actually gets on him a little bit. I think this is awfully brave if you really look at it. That she's sitting there and all of a sudden she goes to Jesus and her sister Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus and she's listening to what he's saying, what he's talking about. And Martha goes and she's like, hey, doesn't it bother you that I'm doing all the work? Is she just sitting there? Tell her to start working. And she was frustrated. And then Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. Uh, I'm a dad. I have three kids. Uh, they start school on Monday. My kids go to Harbor Creek. I now have a third grader, a fourth grader, and a ninth grader. Um, anybody who feels like they're worried and troubled about things Anyone else? Am I the only one? Okay, good. I was like, nobody's raising their hand. I'm like, oh, wow. Uh, we're just going to skip this part then. We're good. Um, worried and troubled about many things. Guys, we live in a worrisome and troublesome world. Uh, I, I have a heart for youth. I am terrified of what our youth are facing today. It is shocking what they're exposed to. And the more that God opens my eyes, the more I see it. I see it in society. I see it in advertising. I see it in media. I see it on social media. I see it in music. I see it in television shows. I see it in cartoons. My little ones watch cartoons, and there are days I'm like, wow, they put that in a cartoon. They don't get it, but I do. It is unbelievable what they're being exposed to. It's amazing. My daughter's 14. I'll share this with you guys in this one. I probably won't in the second one because she'll be here, uh, and I'll get that look. <laughs> right? Anybody who's ever preached with kids, you know that look. Right? They're like, don't you dare talk about me while you're up there. Um, so when she gets here, we'll just, if we can all agree not to talk about this, that'd be good. <laughs> she's 14. She's a young girl living in American society. And it is amazing how in the span of a couple years she went from, Dad, I don't care what clothes I'm wearing or how I look, and I'm not worried about being part of that group. As a matter of fact, I don't like those girls because they're not very nice. How quickly this world changed that. And now she's worried about, Dad, I want to make sure I'm eating and exercising and, and doing certain things, which is fine because we want our children to be healthy, but that's not why she's doing it. Uh... She's fortunate that she's, by nature, fairly high metabolism, but she's worried about being fat. Dad, I'm worried. I don't want to put on weight. 14 years old. Seriously? It's kind of heartbreaking, and I don't want to overreact because I don't want to make it a bigger deal than it is. But she's worried about that. We worry a lot in this world. We worry about money. We worry about if our job's going to be there. We're worried about are we going to have enough. We're worried, we're worried, we're worried. As Christians, as saved people, we must be very careful not to get so wrapped up in the things of this world that we actually begin to believe that they're more important than our time with Jesus. 
But I have to pay the bills. But I have to fill in your own blank. You, I'm sure you have one. And there's a level of truth to that. But it's not the priority. I think of the two, honestly, I see more of the account two in the people that I see who are Christian. And it shocks me how much they get wrapped up in this world, in the things of this world, and it takes them away from their time with Jesus. Especially in the society we live in. I always found it interesting, anybody, and maybe people in this room have been uh, outside of our country into a third world area for missions. Uh, I've never had that opportunity. God has always used me locally. Uh, It would be cool to go on a missions trip, um, I'd probably want to go to Lake Siberia or somewhere where it rains a lot and there's not a lot of sun. Uh, I'm thinking that if I got sent to Central America, it wouldn't work out real well. Um, I'd just get burnt. It's terrible. Um, but I've never been able to go. But you know what always shocks me is that when people come back, and they always, I always hear the same thing, and it's funny, every time I've always heard almost the same thing, is th- those people down there, we go down there and we're going to help them, and you know what they tell us? Man, we're really praying for you guys. And you hear that a lot, that in these third world areas where they don't have much, they pray for us Americans because we have so much. So easy in the society we live in to think that things are priorities that most of the world doesn't even have. And yet they live. But we get wrapped up in them. So I came up with four different things Uh, Two are going to be really, really obvious, and two, maybe not so much. But ways that we can put effort and energy into getting our lives back on focused with Christ. Things we can do practically, not from a works perspective, but just a way we can change the way we spend our time, which will help us grow in our relationship with Christ. The first... Spending time in God's Word. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that the Word of God is living and active. These aren't just words on a page. It's not just a book. It is a supernaturally powerful uh, collection of words that God has given us to teach us about Him. And that's important. We read God's Word, and that's, that's critical. And yes, we read it to study, to know God's Word. But let me ask you this. When was the last time you opened up your Bible and your prayer was simply, God, I want to know more about just knowing you? Not, I really need to understand this doctrine, or I really want to study this passage of Scripture because I really want to understand what Paul wrote, although I, I do that a lot. Boy, uh, I get it when Peter's like, Paul, great brother, hard to understand. Um, but just to learn about God, to to know something else about Him. Uh, I recently heard somebody preaching, I was listening to a sermon, and I want to say it was Paul Washer, I can't remember who it was, but uh, he's like, how how many years have you spent studying the attributes of God? Years. Um, I love the attributes of God, it's a good place to start with that one. The looking into what they are is the three omnis, things like that. Um, the second thing is prayer. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. All things through prayer and supplication. And then it finishes as, at the 
peace of God may safeguard your minds and hearts. Prayer will get us back at the feet of Jesus, if you will. Those are the easy ones. Let's talk about two that I don't think we're putting the time and energy we should be, and I'm just as guilty, so I'm not standing up here on some kind of a platform speaking down. Meditation. Now, there's a part of this New Age mentality of taking this idea of meditation, and sometimes I think those of us who are strong in our faith and conservative get a little cringy when you hear that word meditation. Well, I don't want to be like those guys. The Bible tells us to meditate. It's actually in Philippians right after it tells us about the power of prayer. It gives us a list of things and it says, on these things, meditate. Once again, in the society we live in, guys, I, we don't have much time to do anything. There's always something else that needs done. We're go, 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 go type people. Uh, we're instant gratification. It's amazing that anybody who's 12 years old has never lived in a society where there wasn't Google at their fingertips. That's when the first smartphones came out, 2007. They can get anything right away. We don't take time. Let me ask you guys this. You don't have to answer to anybody but yourself. When was the last time, if ever, you quietly gave God an hour straight of your time, not to pray, not to read his word, although those are critical, just to stop and think about him. Just to let your mind be filled with what you know about God and just quietly think about him. On his person, on the work he's done, on who he is to you. Uh, I remember that hit me not too long ago, a few months ago, and I was like, man, I don't ever just think about God. Why don't I think about God? Heaven is going to be us constantly aware of and knowing God. Why don't I want to start that now? I look back at the saints of the past. There's a book I'm reading through, which is uh, Pilgrim's Progress. I'm sure some of you have heard that. The story's pretty interesting. When John Bunyan wrote that, he was in prison. Which is funny, because he was in prison for preaching the Word of God. And it was the church at the time who threw him in prison, right? Uh, I, I'm going to guess that they didn't let him have his Bible. Although he writes this incredible story, full of Scripture... And I got to believe that back then, when he was growing in his relationship with God, he spent time thinking about God because he didn't have a TV or a smartphone or a radio or all the things that we have to occupy our times. Uh, some of the saints of the past, we look at Charles Spurgeon, John Wesley, these, these men of the past, and as you go back and you start to study them, you start to realize they spent a lot of time thinking about God. A.W. Tozer used to go into his office at times. He would send his secretary home, lock his office door, and stay in there for hours just thinking about God. Meditating on God is something I think that we all need to put more into our walks. The last one is fellowship. Not just fellowship here. We are gathered together. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us that. Right? Not forsaking the gathering of yourselves together. We're, we're honoring that verse right now. 
But who we choose to spend our time with, I believe, is absolutely critical in how much we grow in our relationship with Christ. Are you intentionally seeking out time with other people whose greatest priority is growing in a deeper relationship with Jesus? Not just, you know what, I hang out with Christian people, and that's fine. But are they focused on growing in relationship with Jesus? Or do you spend your time talking about a television show that you both really like? Or you know what, I really like hanging out with Dave. He goes to my church. He's a good brother. I mean, he definitely lives a Christian life. But man, we are the biggest Steelers fans going. And we love to get together and talk about the Steelers. Do you love to get together to talk about Christ? Are you seeking fellowship with people who are as desperate to grow as you are? And let me challenge you guys with this a little bit. How much time do you give to those in the world? Co-workers, old friends, people that you get together with. And sometimes, and I don't want to be careful about this, Yes, we are to spend time with people in the world because we want to demonstrate Christ and be ambassadors for Christ. But sometimes I think people keep a relationship alive and they justify it by saying, well, I'm showing him Christ. But every time you're together, if you really look at it, at least this has been my experience, you know what? When we spend time together, I become more like the world. Are we fellowshipping? Are we coming together with other people who desperately want their relationship with Christ to grow? We don't have Jesus here, guys. He, he, we don't have Him physically where we can go and sit at His feet and listen to His teaching. Boy, do I wish we do. Man, I'll tell you, there are days I'm like, if I could just sit and talk with Him. Wow! I have so many questions. But we don't. But we have these four things. So I'll leave you with this question. As we consider what James wrote in chapter 1, what has the mirror of God's Word showed you about you today? And are you going to walk away and forget it? Or are you going to do something about it? May God bless the preaching of His Word uh, I'm going to pray. If you feel led to stand, you're, that's fine. If you don't, that's fine too. Um, Holy Father. Oh God, thank you so much for your word. We thank you, God, that you didn't leave us with nothing. God, I thank you that the word that you gave us is power. And it, and it carries you through it and you will use it. It never returns void. God, that you will do your great work. We thank you that you didn't leave us. Thank you, Lord, for the Spirit of God that lives within us. And God, I pray for those, if there is any here today, that they don't have your Spirit living in them. God, I ask now, through the blood of Christ, will you do your great work in them? Will you break their hearts for you? Will you open the eyes of their understanding to you, a holy and righteous God, that they would fall before you and put their faith in your mercy and your promises. 
Lord, we love you and we praise you. And we come in Christ's name. Amen.